Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Today's also a day of remembrance in an entirely different context, for it was 37 years ago today that one of the defining events in our national life, the first sacking of an Australian Prime Minister, Gough Whitlam, happened on November 11, 1975. We'll be hearing much of the Whitlam era over these next few weeks as we approach the 40th anniversary on December 2 of Gough Whitlam coming to power. So on such a fitting day as today, I thought we'd mark this as well on Open House. Also because, as you'll see on our Open House Community Facebook page, I had the great opportunity and privilege of actually being there in Canberra on that day, more than that, right next to the fallen Prime Minister for his famous speech on the steps of the old Parliament House. Check it out. Author and commentator for the Australian newspaper and former staffer to Kevin Rudd, Troy Bramston, has not one but two books about to hit the stores on the Whitlam era and Labor, one of which I've actually been honoured to have contributed a chapter, and Troy joins us now as we look back at quite an era for Australia. Troy, welcome to Open House. Oh, hello, Lee. It's great to be with you. Thanks very much for joining us, Troy. Let's look a bit first at the background. Set the context for us of Gough Whitlam and Labor coming to power just on 40 years ago. Uh, well, Lee, of course, it was uh, it was after 23 years um, of conservative uh, rule. Obviously, uh, uh, Robert Menzies, the Liberal Party Prime Minister, had won government in 1949, and they had ruled uh, right through uh, to 1972. Uh, but it was also the culmination, I guess, um, in Gough Whitlam's uh, personal ascendancy. Uh, this was a man who had, who had gone into Parliament in the early 1950s. He had battled um, with the faceless men on Labor's federal executive who really controlled the party. He had, he had a very bitter relationship with Arthur Corwell, um, who had been the Labor Party's leader in the 1960s when Whitlam was deputy leader. And by 1967, uh, Whitlam finally was able to wrest the party leadership away from Corwell, and he was there in his, in his own right, but he faced significant battles. And so for him first uh, to, to put the party in a position where it could win the 1972 election, he had to undertake a whole, a whole range of uh, things that he called, firstly, was re- reforming the party, making it more representative opening it up, taking that power away from the factions, overhauling the party's policies and then revitalising its campaigning. So he was able to do all of that um, and that helped him uh, help to, to catapult Labor to power in 1972. So an enormously significant win for Labor, also an enormously significant loss for the Conservatives for more than two decades they'd been in power and now they were out. Whitlam came into power with an enormous program of change, Troy, and a fierce determination to be off and running from day one, really. Uh, well, that's exactly right. I mean, he had uh, what I think was the most sweeping reform program ever put to to the Australian people at an election time. This coming week is the, is the 40th anniversary of Gough Whitlam's It's Time uh, speech, which he gave um, out in Blacktown um, when he launched the campaign and uh, delivered what is, we now know as the It's Time speech. Um, and that was uh, a very comprehensive program for reform across all areas of government. And I think it's interesting to note that you know that this was very much Gough Whitlam's personal plan, and it yes. was it was developed through Labor Party uh, conferences and committees and so on with commissions and experts and that. But it was really came out of his personal experiences living in the outer suburbs of Sydney, firstly in Cronulla and then in Cabramatta. Troy, he represented an entirely different style of politician and politics from what we know today. It was a day when politicians actually stood for something; they led the community rather than slavishly following, especially the polls. 
Well, that's right. Well, Gofford Lum was really a change agent. He wanted to reform Australia um, and he had a conviction to do that. And the policies that he put to the 1972 election were for him to secure a mandate uh, for change, whether it was, you know, bringing in Medicare or changing school funding um, or recognising China um, or all, all sorts of things. Um, he wanted he wanted change and he, and he had ideas and he stuck to them um, very, very strongly. He, he once said that, um, that winning a mandate from the people was not a permission to preside, it was a command to perform. And that's exactly what he set out to do from the very first day after he was elected in 1972. And that's where the crash through or crash term that was applied to Whitlam kind of began. There are also the seeds of their destruction very early on. Too much was done too soon and numbers of loose cannons running their own race. And we've got to remember again, Labor was out of power for more than two decades. Well, they were. They were, they were hungry to get in, into government and start to do things. There were In the first 14 days of the government, there were 40 decisions made. These were not just everyday decisions, but decisions that had turned, in many ways, uh, decades of established policy on its head. Of course, the government was first formed as a duumvirate, uh, which was just that uh, the, there was Gough Whitlam and his deputy, Lance Barnard, held all portfolios um, for the first two weeks of the government, and then the rest of the ministry was, was sworn in. So they didn't wait very long at all. Uh, they overhauled you know, education, health foreign policy, all sorts of things. But there is, you're right that they did perhaps do too much too soon. Even though they had a mandate for it, uh, this change was very difficult for the community to absorb. And then, of course, there were some personal scandals uh, that uh, that uh, enveloped the government. And Gough Whitlam really summarised these as the three Cs, which were Rex Connor, Jim Cairns, um, and Frank Crean, and they caused the government enormous trouble, and that then catapulted it uh, to dismissal in 1975. So give us a quick potted version, a race through some of those events that led up to the dismissal on this day 37 years ago. Why did it happen? Well, there were a number of uh, things that happened. Um, one of those was really the, the changing composition of the Senate. So without going into all those details, the government's numbers in the Senate changed, which meant it could not get legislation through, particularly the budget. But what had happened in 1974 was that uh, Rex Connor, uh, the Minister for Minerals and Energy, had this great grand vision that he wanted to invest in Australian resource projects. And to do that, he wanted to borrow $4 billion US dollars uh, from a Pakistani commodities trader named Tirath Kemlani. It was a crazy, harebrained scheme. Uh, the finance department, the treasury, the reserve bank, everybody thought this was sheer madness, yet the government did it. Um, or they tried to do it. They, get, they gave Connor the approval to secure this loan. And then when the loan didn't come through, what had happened was, was that Connor and his loan authority was revoked what he did was he continued to try to seek that loan and he didn't have approval for it. And when this became public in 1975, Malcolm Fraser, who was then the opposition leader, he said this provided what he called the reprehensible circumstances to delay the government's budget in the Senate and then try to force them to an election. And John Kerr, Sir John Kerr, the Governor-General, who was appointed by Whitlam, ended up sacking the Prime Minister. Well, he did, um, and this was the culmination in a crisis that really ran for, ran for about four weeks or so. The budget was blocked on the 16th of October, or delayed uh, is really the, the, the technical term, meaning it couldn't be passed. The government's money was running out. There was really no other option that Kerr had other than to dismiss the government. Now, it was Malcolm Fraser who really pushed the political system to the brink, um, and Gough Whitlam wanted to have a Senate election, um, but that wouldn't have, been a, wouldn't have happened soon enough to enable supply to be passed before Christmas, and Kerr believed he had to act 
Uh, now, we now know uh, behind the scenes that there are a whole lot of other things going on in terms of discussions with High Court judges uh, that Whitlam didn't know about, discussions with the Palace um, and, other, and other things that were happening uh, which add to this sort of mystery and this sort of this feeling that there was a conspiracy uh, to undermine the government. And it's very clear in my own research and writing in The Australian uh, that John Kerr was determined to dismiss the Whitlam government um, and he set about uh, to do that in 1975. When he was bound to act on the advice of his Prime Minister, that's the big deal. Uh, that, that's right. Um, and we, uh, Paul Kelly and I, the Australian, we've found some new documentation uh, which showed that uh, that Kerr had actually been in touch with the Palace, uh, Buckingham Palace, and had raised these issues with them. And they had told him um, that in the event that Gough Whitlam tried to dismiss Kerr, uh, that they would follow Whitlam's advice because Kerr always feared that he would be recalled by the Queen, that he would himself be dismissed and so he kept this information secret from Whitlam. He didn't tell Whitlam what he was thinking or what he was contemplating. He consulted with others including uh, several judges on the High Court and um, and then obviously Whitlam was essentially ambushed uh, is the word that he, he used um, on, the, on the Remembrance Day 1975. He went to Government House to recommend a Senate election but instead he left uh, Government House no longer being Prime Minister. One of the other interesting things that you've turned up Troy with Paul Kelly is Kerr's solace that he found in Christian faith during those tumultuous days. Yeah, that's right. Well, Kerr was obsessed about the dismissal, um, and he, he went uh, to live in London after he uh, finished uh, being Governor-General in 1977, uh, but he kept going back to it. He's, he's left this incredible archive, which is really a gift to history, with these personal notes, typed memos, records of conversations, and including a journal. Um, and he writes in this journal uh, that he kept in 1980, he says um, he says that he is he's looked to Christianity to help him. What he says is to resist his hatred of Gough Whitlam uh, because of his actions and his statements, uh, meaning that uh, the, the condemnation that Kerr suffered after the dismissal um, led Kerr to look to Christianity. Um, but I think that he, he says that he, he did not find in his heart uh, that the Christian uh, fashion to love my enemy as embodied by Whitlam, he said, but I do understand him, I do not hate him, um, but he couldn't forgive him. And so there's this really interesting personal relationship between Whitlam and Kerr. Uh, but uh, I must say that Kerr actually found, um, in, a, in a sense, redemption um, through the letters, the secret letters that he was sent by Robert Menzies in retirement and Garthwood Barwick, the Chief Justice, and others. So Kerr didn't find redemption or, in fact, solace in Christianity. He found it in being bolstered by the conservative establishment. So I said, you've been hard at work on two books. The first is For the True Believers, Great Labor Speeches That Shaped History. Bob Hawke's launching that in a couple of weeks' time. The second is Gough Whitlam, The Long Shadow. And your thesis is that Whitlam's era cast this shadow over politics ever since. In what ways do you say, Troy? I don't think anybody has ever lived up, lived up to the Whitlam uh, mantle in terms of uh, policy uh, breadth and policy vision. Um, there's a lot the Whitlam government got wrong, but there's an awful lot that it got right. Things that we live with today, whether it's needs-based school funding um, or, or Medicare, which previously was Medibank, of course, um, or just the, the very modern nature of Australia with an independent outlook in the world and so on. So there's there's these, these policy legacies there. There's the example of leadership we've talked about, about conviction and having a vision. But there's also the dismissal. So the government is always essentially snap frozen in time 
time on the 11th of November 1975 that it would always be seen through that prism. Um, but there's much, much more uh, to learn and to remember about the, about the Whitlam period, not only in terms of policy, but also about the very purpose of politics, which I think is leadership. Do you think we're ever likely to see anything like the events or the politics of the Whitlam era, Troy? No, I don't think so. It, it was certainly the dismissal was uh, Australia's greatest political crisis, uh, but I think the style of politics has changed. Something that you and I have talked about, Lee, yes. pre- previously is that a lot of politicians today, the lessons they took out of it was to not take risks, yes. um, um, to not lead uh, strongly, um, to pull back a bit, um, and not challenge the status quo as much. Kind of just see if you can sort of skate through, I guess, uh, without being out there with all your ideas and all your visions and trying to communicate that with the Australian people. And the, the Whitlam government never held anything back. Every idea it had, it tried to implement, um, and it was always a bold and reforming government. And I don't think anybody really wants uh, to do that anymore. And I think that's something that we've lost out of our politics, is really the, 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 the purpose of leadership in politics. I think we've lost that. Troy Bramson, very much appreciate your time joining us on Open House. We'll put the details of uh, the two books for The True Believers and uh, Gough Whitlam, The Long Shadow, up on our Open House community Facebook page. Thanks so much, Troy. Oh, it's a pleasure, Lee. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.